0: They speak every language we speak, and they're almost everywhere we are. They're really an incredible sounding board.
1: Welcome to Scaling Global, which features stories from business leaders who have successfully expanded to an international market. Going global is an exciting change for any business owner, but sometimes the challenges of doing so can feel insurmountable. I'm your host, Christina Wallace. I'm an entrepreneur and the Vice President of Growth at Bionic, a company that builds startup ecosystems inside large enterprises. Each episode, hear from the influencers and decision makers who have turned their domestic companies into global powerhouses. Each week, you'll hear intimate conversations with business leaders across a variety of industries. They will explain how their companies expanded internationally, including what steps worked and which didn't, and share tips on how you can grow your company globally. Scaling Global is produced by Slate Group Studios in partnership with HSBC. Wherever your business goes, your bank should be there. HSBC has global relationship managers on the ground in over 60 countries, connecting businesses to opportunities. You can learn more about how HSBC can support your business at home and abroad by going to us.hsbc.com. On this episode, we tackle the fashion industry and one of the keys to achieving global success, sourcing. Of course, with the addition and evolution of technology, everything in sourcing can change with the blink of an eye. Today, I'm talking with Gerard Gez, founder and chairman of Sunrise Brands. Welcome, Gerard. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: So you're the founder and chairman of Sunrise Brands, which was originally incorporated as the Tarrant Apparel Group back in 1985. But you've been working in the apparel industry even before that. So what first drew you into the industry and how did it lead you to found your company?
0: First thing that I did was uh, leave school at age 15. I was living in Lyon, France, and started to bring uh, jeans from Paris down to Lyon and all of the suburbs and sell them basically out of a car that I had a grown up to drive, to boot. So I've been in the jeans business basically uh, 46 years.
1: Wow. So tell me about the growth of Sunrise Brands. What's the range of your lines of business today?
0: Today, the the mix of the business is really uh, twofold, is private label and private brands, when there's a value added component, and there Mm -hmm. is development of uh, proprietary brands, both uh, some created, some licensed, and some uh, celebrity lines.
1: And so what does the role of technology play in the global operation of your company? When we think about like fashion brands, technology generally isn't the first word that comes to mind.
0: That's very true, but it's becoming more and more important. The first thing that technology brings is uh, information Mm. and speed of information. Mm -hmm. So the first take-in is the data of selling of whatever it is that we ship to all of our retailers. And we have now access to almost all of their databases Mm -hmm. as it relates to our merchandise and can see it really almost live and have a very strong feeling and understanding about what is selling and what is not.
1: And so what's the biggest tech adjustment that you've made to allow your company to compete on the global level? Now that you have that real-time data, how have you adjusted production and manufacturing?
0: It's very interesting because for the past 35 years, we have had an incredible uh, private label business where we came in and tried to add as much value to the retailer by bettering their own products and helping them increase their average unit retail, also mm-hmm. known as AUR. And uh, one of the things that helped us uh, succeed is the ability to tell the stores that as long as that they take responsibility for the fabric side of the, the manufacturing, mm-hmm. we didn't really care what style they, we would make for them. So th- through testing of many, many different styles, we get information. That information gets translated into a, a plan for mm-hmm. their season. And then as the information develops of the test and what they read and what works and what doesn't, we then correct our uh, plan and change the styles if ne- necessary. Washes, fits, whatever would information we would be getting from the test would enable us to still manufacture the amount of units that are needed, but. We have an eye on what has sold and what the consumer really likes over something else.
1: So, are you able to adjust that plan within a season? You're not just waiting to adjust next season's production.
0: That's the whole idea: is wow. that we give as much flexibility as we can to our retailers, because we want them to do as well as they can. Sure. Uh, and we have no interest in selling them something just because we have a purchase order. We want them to perform and have even more market share through our product and our designs.
1: Let's talk a little bit about sourcing. So this is probably one of the least understood parts of a global business to an average consumer, but sourcing affects pricing and product availability, quality, and more. Can you give our listeners a quick overview of the apparel sourcing ecosystem? Like, how does a typical bear of jeans end up on a rack in an American retail store?
0: The first thing that it does, is gets design. Mm -hmm. It starts with what's called a tech pack, which is a set of all of measurements and fits and all of the requirements that would give the factories a full understanding of what it would take to make the first samples. Those samples are developed, they're prototyped, they're corrected if need be, then they are shown to the retailer, They are picked among other styles. They make their choices, and they either write tests if they don't know enough about it, or they write Mm -hmm. orders if they know what they need to know. Mm -hmm. We give our retailers a full, transparent, weekly status of every one of their orders by dates and by events. Fabric should be received this date. It should be cut by that date. It should be finished to be sewn by that date. And we track it uh, uh, together with our retailer basically live and are able to see that we're going to be on time or the fabric has been a week late and automatically the event management would tell the buyer this is going to need an extension for whatever reason that might be.
1: So you're able to have that real-time visibility that's right. into what that entire process looks like.
0: And more importantly, our retailers and our partners are able to track it as well.
1: Can you speak to the role of e-commerce and the Internet and how that's affected Um, you know, demand. And how has that changed how you've worked with your partners?
0: So the average unit order, minimum order quantity, we call it uh, MOQ, Mm -hmm. has completely changed and revolutionized basically our whole industry. Wow. Whereas our game before was to be delivering hundreds and sometimes millions of one style, two styles, or three styles within a given season We now had Mm -hmm. to revolutionize our whole sourcing system in order to be able to react to the reality under this new terrain, which is a whole lot more styles with a whole lot less and smaller, much smaller quantities. Sure. So you're dealing with a company that has had to kind of reinvent itself into being able to deliver very small units to a lot of different retailers on a monthly basis. Our average relationship at retail, we may be delivering 70, 80, to 100 styles per month. And some of them f- uh, go, of course, to the stores so that they are greater units, but a lot of them now are being bought for e-com only. Mm-hmm. So now we had to change the way we manufactured and kind of break down our whole some of our systems in order to be able to deliver those 180, 240, and a and 1,000 units of one style. In a cycle that used to be taking, or we were given, four to six months, mm-hmm. we are now striving to deliver and create these new capabilities of delivering those styles within 35 to 45 days.
1: Wow. That's incredible. That's
0: <laughs> a revolution. And actually, believe it or not, as we all know, everything is old and then it becomes new and then it's old again. Mm -hmm. The whole fashion system in Europe to this day and certainly 40 and 50 years ago has all been Mm -hmm. created about an ability to make 600 and 1,000 units of one style in one day, Mm -hmm. one day. The whole system in Paris which is called the sentier is where all of the boutiques would go on a Monday morning and shop for their own retail stores and take it to their stores in their cars with them. Was all built on a 24-36 hours turn, and when you see the success of the European chain stores, whether it's the Zara's mm-hmm. and the H&M and mm-hmm. some other fast-moving and they called you know fast retailers and some Japanese too. and you see how successful they are, how much more successful, is because they have this nimbleness embedded into their own system and an ecosystem around them that services their uh, short-term supply chain uh, requirement. So you can go to a Zara and an H&M and see something completely different every two, three weeks. So they're educating their consumer to come more often, so of course the price is lower, and those customers come to shop them, because it's almost you know something that they can just throw away; it wouldn't even change their lives, and go buy something else. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of collaborations, Sunrise actually has a portfolio of celebrity brands. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about them and how those partnerships affect your business globally?
0: Well, they affect it very positively if you pick the right celebrities. We have. Uh, the Melissa McCarthy line in uh, large sizes—it's very successful—and we have uh, the Eva Longoria line. And I've had in mm-hmm. the past uh, Jessica Simpson and Beyoncé and some other huge uh, celebrities. They—they they are your marketing dollars. They are creating the eyeballs and the attention mm-hmm. in a very very crowded space. It helps you get a, a microphone and a loudspeaker and have the ability to reach all of their constituencies and then some. So it's part of our business. It's not all of our business. We have our own brands that do not have a personality attached to them that are just doing just as well.
1: With a global company, it's important to have a banking partner with a global presence as well. Can you tell me about your relationship with HSBC and how HSBC has helped your company go global?
0: Well, they speak every language we speak, and they're almost everywhere we are at. So they, they're really an incredible sounding board. Uh, you know, this is a relationship that I've had for over thirty-five years. Uh, in fact, about twenty-five years ago, we were picked in one of their conferences because they realized the bank realized that there is a great profitability with customers that have a much higher turn on their business, which is usually a one and a half or two, twice a year turn. As a bank, if they give you $50 million, you use it twice, they have basically, basically lent you 100 million. Mm-hmm. But if you have $50 million and you turn it 10 or 11 times, which they called over-trading, they mm-hmm. realized that their profitability uh, went up by five, seven, or 800%. So I was a model for the bank in developing new business opportunities by going after companies that had much higher turns because it, by taking the same level of risk, it was a lot more profitable to them. So they've always been incredible uh, for the past 35 years, and they help us when we need to go into new countries by introducing us to, to their top clients.
1: What's next for Sunrise Brands?
0: Well, it's shaped by everyday events. Everyday there are opportunities, ideas that I am developing, and I don't limit it to fashion. You know, I have hotels, I have restaurants. We are constantly developing new ideas. And to me, the way I look at the world is that I love ideas. I'm still an entrepreneur at heart. I think we can add and bring mm-hmm. a lot of value to existing companies that are have either the front of the house going great, but the back not so great, or the back and not the front. And we can be looking at some mergers or acquisition of companies that can benefit from all of the, the skill sets and the, the incredible talent that we have working with us.
1: As you think about your growth and your expansion going forward, are there regions or, or countries that you're particularly interested in?
0: I think there's a lot to learn about the European model. And actually, I am born in North Africa which happens to be a very large hub for manufacturing today. Both Tunisia and Morocco are very, very strong partners for those fast retailers, because it happens to be a two-day boat to Marseille or any port in France. Mm -hmm. Everything is geared for small units when it's needed and fast turn.
1: Before we go, I have one last question. What's one piece of advice you'd give to a company that has plans to go global?
0: One step at a time. <laughs> you stop every time you try something and make sure that everything you had planned. More importantly, I think the human assets. You have to be extremely careful about who, especially when you are going outside of your uh, comfort zone in your home. Mm-hmm. The most important decision, if a retailer is going to be your location, but more before you even pick a, a location, the most important thing is who is your talent. Because if you don't have that, you're going to lose all of your money.
1: Thank you so much, Gerard. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today.
0: Same here. Thank you very much, Christian.
1: I'm now joined by Daniela Mengi, Senior Relationship Manager at HSBC, who will give us an even deeper look into what it takes to create a global business and provide some perspective on the themes we've been discussing today. Daniela, thanks for coming
2: on. Thank you, Christina.
1: Sunrise Brands had a legacy of quality to lean on when they started scaling their business globally. People wanted to work with them. Do you see technology as a new conduit for global exposure? Do you think the internet determines whether a company is ready for expansion before a company itself does?
2: That is such a great question. I don't think one comes with the other anymore. Mm. You cannot think about expanding without considering all the technology aspects and investments that you need to make. Mm-hmm. For retailers, even more so because it is a channel of distribution that is becoming increasingly important in their industry. Mm-hmm. I think Shehard said something that, um, that struck me, that is now lots of lines are made solely for the internet for e-commerce. So that is absolutely one uh, of the most important key aspects that have to be analyzed in any international expansion, if anything, even for your controls and how you're going to be able to have visibility into your other subsidiaries, how you're going to intelligently and efficiently manage your resources. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, I think that technology is in the forefront, especially for retailers today. Jargaz said that the value of technology lies
1: within the speed of information, meaning he knows how well his products are doing around the world at all times. That's pretty valuable information, but that kind of infrastructure has to be pretty costly. As a business owner, how do you get over that sticker shock when you're deciding whether or not to invest in such an important business tool?
2: I would say it is a lot of analytics that go into it, and it's transformational for this industry to even imagine that now a retailer can change an order within the season and not have to carry a lot of inventory, for example. So... You're essentially reducing a lot of risk in mm-hmm. this industry. So for those investments, the companies will really need to understand what is the future cash flows that they will generate, the savings that they are going to get and extract out of this investment by, for example, reducing inventory. So it's not one answer for this. It's a lot of uh, crunching numbers and a lot of analytics that will probably go behind any of those decisions but we can see from his podcast mm-hmm. that in his particular industry with the speed that they have to respond to their clients technology is essential is not only ma- is not a matter of having or not you have to have it is how smart you're going to invest in it how ahead of the curve and ahead of your competition you're going to be able to be to really succeed in this market
1: How much is tech a focal point for your clients when they're looking to expand overseas? Is that an area you see the most investment in? When you're talking with a client who wants to scale, can tech be an inhibiting factor?
2: Well, it definitely depends on the industry. I cover clients in a variety of industries. For some of them, technology is key and is going to be one of the biggest investments. But I think a common... Um, conversation we always have is about the systems that they will have to have in place solely for their operations for day-to-day to be able to have visibility and control and connect with the other subsidiaries around the globe mm-hmm. so at a minimum companies will need to invest in all these inter- internal business systems that will allow for the collaboration and visibility among of all their international subsidiaries and headquarters. For example, uh, professional services companies, the investments will be in a lot of client databases and very advanced billing systems, mm-hmm. uh, so that it will allow for fast cash conversion and global liquidity management. So, for an industrial client, it can translate into powerful system to control their supply chain, as discussed, for example, in this podcast with Jahard. In the
1: age of Amazon. What do retailers have to do to stay competitive at the global level?
2: Big retailers such as Amazon, they are disrupting the market. So a customer would have to just get into the car, go to a mall or to a physical store to get a product that today they can just get easily online. So retailers have to be a lot smarter and also a step ahead when it comes to the technology and e-commerce to be able to compete in this new environment.
1: How much stock should companies be placing in e-commerce? Is it true that once you're online, you're a global company?
2: It takes a lot more to be global than having a website, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, But one thing doesn't come with the other. I think the strategies have to be aligned, depending on your industry and your sector. They might be one and the same. You can be an international retailer solely based on e-commerce, and we have some clients like that. So no, it's not only a website. It's part of a much larger strategy. Daniela, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, Christina. That's all for this episode of Scaling Global.
1: In an upcoming episode, we talk to the global chairman of an international law firm who helps individuals and companies navigate global regulations. And he'll share which countries right now are your best bet for expansion. Scaling Global is produced by Slate Group Studios in partnership with HSBC. Thanks again to Gerard Gez, founder and chairman of Sunrise Brands. To hear more stories from business leaders who have successfully expanded to an international market, subscribe to Scaling Global wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christina Wallace. Thanks for listening. In the United States, deposit products are offered by HSBC Bank USA NA. Member FDIC.